Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said still, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and so he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? And she replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the queen, the king, and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a tough reading. Tough reading. Tough to transition into a sermon. So I'll just do it as gracefully as possible. By way of saying that uh, I have trouble remembering things. I especially have trouble remembering birthdays, even the birthdays of my own children. Uh, it makes me the world's worst mother I know, but I know the month that they're all born, because there are only two of those months, Abby and Garrett are in November, Julian's in February, but I can never keep the days or the years straight. Uh, it's just not something I'm good at. That is what I keep my husband Kevin around for. <laughs> I store dates in his head. 
I also store our Netflix password in there. He's got a great memory for these sorts of things, and I have to make good use of it somehow. I am not alone in storing data in my spouse. It's pretty common, actually. It's actually got a name. It's called transactive memory. Transactive memory. It's when we know that we do not have to remember something because someone else is remembering it for us. So when my friend Beth deployed for the first time to Afghanistan, she was leaving her husband Matt and their two little kids home alone, she wrote down all the important things in her head that she knows he doesn't keep in his that he, she knew he'd need. So like teachers' names, doctor's emergency number, banking password. She didn't want him to be without his transactive memory. Her. Transactive memory. It's when we store things for each other. And that's not something we really think about until that someone is gone. And so I wonder this morning if Jesus thinks about all the memories stored in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was more than just a fiery prophet on the edge of town to Jesus. John the Baptist was to him a cousin, a friend, his baptizer, some say a mentor. John was the one and only man able to say to his followers, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was the first person to recognize that truth about Jesus. And he did it as a baby in his mother's womb. When Elizabeth is carrying John the baptizer and Mary is carrying Jesus, they see each other and John, in utero, leaps at the sight of Mary. They have been together since childhood. There are certainly memories of each other that only these two know, stored in their hearts and minds alone. It is just one of the reasons that makes this text so hard to read. It is extremely difficult to read. It's even harder to preach on. It's a horrific text. John is a complete and total victim, not only of political violence, but of a capricious, powerful group of elites who deal so callously and frivolously with the lives of the people that they are supposed to protect, that they request a man's head as a fun game, followed by more dancing and feasting. I mean, this is the world they're living in. And there is no great moral lesson hidden in this text, no parable to draw wisdom from, no happy ending to make John's death meaningful, as if that sort of thing is possible. So why do we read it? How are we meant to make use of this text? I guess it's possible that we're meant to read it as a warning, because it comes right after Jesus sending his disciples out into the world, telling them to, to teach and preach and heal. And so to read this text right after is kind of a cautionary tale to us. Being a disciple is not only dangerous, hard work, but sometimes it's deadly. So let that be a warning. John the Baptist paid the ultimate price. Watch yourselves. If you do likewise, you could end up the same way, so be careful. But in truth, we are blessed not to live in those circumstances. There is real work and sacrifice involved in our faith lives, 
but death has not been one of them for us for many generations. It is certainly a warning for some people about the danger of dis- dangers of discipleship, but not really for us here in these church pews. No, what I keep coming back to, and what makes this story meaningful for me, is the single sentence that it ends with. Maybe it was so insignificant you didn't even hear it in the reading. But what it says is this. When his disciples hear about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. While the world around is partying, and that is given in detail for two paragraphs, the body of Christ is quietly doing something completely different. It only takes a simple sentence at the end to describe it, an almost non, non-issue. But it's what sets these disciples completely apart. It's such a simple thing they do for, some, for John, and some might argue that it is almost pointless now that he's gone to take this care. But what they do for John the Baptist points us to what we are doing here in response to Jesus. These disciples are holding a space for John. They are holding a space for John. Now, when Pastor Bob was here, you might remember him. Pastor Bob, good old Pastor Bob. He and I, we would meet weekly, and often, you know, just to kind of figure out the week, but often in the middle of those meetings, one of us would have to take a call. And so both pastors and both privy to information, so we would just let the other one talk, and so sometimes we'd overhear each other's conversations. Never happened with any one of you. Totally private. Well, one day, Pastor Bob got a call from a former parishioner now living out west, right? And they were getting on in years. And when you get on in years, you kind of start thinking about the the process of your funeral and wanting to get things nice and lined up and planned out so that your family doesn't have to worry. And so this woman asks Pastor Bob if when the time comes, she and their husband could have their funeral here at Faith. And so Pastor Bob says, well, of course. Is your family here in O'Fallon? You know, kind of assuming that's why they would want their funeral here. And she says, no, no, they're kind of spread out all over the country, but... We still want to have our funeral at faith. That's where our children were confirmed. That's where we were the most active in church. We were in their choir. We, were, we loved our years at Scott, you know. We trust faith. So Pastor Bob says, of course. That's what I mean by holding space. It's holding on to each other's memories. It's holding on to each other's trust and hope. It's holding on to our futures together, no matter what that looks like. The disciples are doing more than collecting John's remains. They are holding space for him, not only in the tomb that they've set aside for him, but in their lives still. As carefully as they tend to his body, they will tend to the pieces of his life that mattered the most. They're going to pick up the ministry where he left off holding in trust the work he began in recognizing who this Jesus was. And this tender act of mercy, it points to the Lord that John was following. A Lord who does not deal with our lives the way this world does. Jesus does not barter or trade or bet against us. He loves this broken humanity and these imperfect bodies. 
loves them so much he's willing to go to the cross to protect them. In a world that trains, or trades rather, in violence, that makes a game of death, that turns callously away from suffering, Jesus runs toward it for our sake. That is the Lord these disciples follow, and that is why even in John's death they hold space for him, and that's why we hold space for each other. You know, I saw this in the simplest way in this last year. When we started worshiping again in person, clear back in June last year, it was not something a lot of people were ready to do. It was not safe for everybody to be worshiping together again. So our worship was really small to start with. But at the end of worship, when the folks who were able to come left, in the narthex, you know, we had those little enclosed chalices, and they they were to take them and to go outside and have Holy Communion. And we always just assumed people would take one for themselves. But what we found within just a week or two is that people started taking more. They'd take not just one for themselves, but they'd take one for their wife who was at home who was immunocompromised. Or they'd take one for their elderly parents who didn't belong in a public space yet. Or they'd take one for people they didn't even know would need it. They were just guessing that they were going to happen along someone who needed a little bit of hope that week. And listen, I don't know if they ever made it out of your pocket or purse. Some of you probably have little stashes in your cars. But the point is you took them and you held space with them. You held space for one another. Just the simplest act. And there are so many more little ways that you all hold space for each other outside this place. And they aren't huge stories, but they are just little sentences at the end of the story. Like watching each other's children when someone is hurting. Or driving each other home from tough doctor appointments. Or fixing each other's porch steps. I see you holding space in your day to help each other. And it is not the culture that taught you to do that. It is your Lord Jesus Christ who showed you how. Jesus who held space for us first on that cross. That sin, that shame, that doubt. I have room for that in my body, Jesus says. I am holding space for you here. And when we read this story of the disciples holding space for John, we know they've grasped that truth. We are in the season of this church where we have to say goodbye to military families we love. We have been doing it for weeks now. It's the toughest part of being a military congregation. We just feel like every year it's going to crush us to keep saying goodbye to these people. But we do it. And to those who have left already in these last few weeks, and to those who are going to be leaving, and to those of you who are going to be staying and sitting here in these pews forever, but you just need to hear it. Know that we are holding a space for you. Your joy, your sorrow, your growth, your pain that happened in this place, it is held in trust here. And if you are just visiting here, and it turns out that this is not the church for you, get yourself to a body of Christ somewhere. Because when, not if, but when the world pushes against you and there doesn't seem to be a space that is free from violence and indifference and fear, it is the body of Christ that you can trust is holding a space for you.
and you need to be a part of it. You are meant to share and store memories for your brothers and sisters, to know who they are for them when they have trouble remembering themselves. It is our holy calling in this place. It is your brothers and sisters likewise in Christ who will hold in love and fellowship and prayer your life. So thanks be to God for Jesus, who first held space for us. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.